The first part of the book of Ephesians all has to do about the work of God's grace. What has God accomplished? What has God done in salvation? And he talks about Father, Son, Holy Spirit of all work to redeem our rotten souls from the pit and give us grace. It's this beautiful news. And then in Ephesians 4, there's this, there's this transition of what does it look like to live in light of that grace? And there's lots of practical things that Paul talks about. And today, we are talking about parenting. The title of this sermon is Parenting as a Child. And before you kind of give me that funny look, uh, I'll get into that in just a minute. But parenting is a lot of fun. What I have here are these little things that my, my kids do every Father's Day. And it's this fill-in-the-blank thing. I don't know if you guys have seen these before, but it says things like, my dad's name is Daddy. Okay, they got that one right. That was good. One of my favorite things that my daughter said a couple years ago was, my dad's favorite place to go to is the gym. That was a good one, right? Because I don't really like to go to the gym, but I go to the gym. One of the things my son said this year was this, my dad's favorite food is chicken nuggets. So that's good. My dad's favorite thing to do with me is to stop giants and to watch the Minions movie on a dark night. Caden likes to watch movies. My daughter Tatum is a little more, she's a little older, a little more sincere in in her responses. And she says, he always helps me to get things when I can't reach them. And my favorite thing to do with that is to go camping because we do that all the time. We've been once to go camping and on daddy daughter dates, which we do do that. My dad is funny when he makes funny faces, and he always laughs when I tickle his foot. Having kids is a lot of fun. We have four kids now, and since we've had four kids for about three and a half weeks now, and since we've gotten, we've meandered out into public a few times, and it's been interesting. One of the places we went to last week was Lanier World. Our neighbor gave us some passes to go to the water slides at Lanier World. We said, hey, we'll try our hand at this. You always get these funny responses from people. People don't know how to react when you have four little kids that are under six. One of the questions was, are all these kids yours? Another one of the the questions that I often get is, you know what causes that, right? And it's always one of those things where I just want to say, hey, yeah, it's this beautiful thing that happens between my wife and I. You want me to tell you more about it? I mean, there's actually this book in the Bible, Song of Solomon, that tells you all about it. I mean, just go read that. It's beautiful. And then my personal favorite from this last week is, man, I'm glad our kids aren't in that stage anymore as we're walking down, pushing the stroller, holding kids. And I started to think about the answer to that question, how do you do it? Because we get this question all the time. How do you do it with these little kids? And how do you plant a church? And how do you do this? And the answer is we can't. We don't do it. And people say, oh, no, no, you're just being false humility. You're kind of putting on this. Seriously, guys, it is impossible to raise gospel-centered kids on your own. You can't do it. There's not enough American ingenuity, go-get-her-done spirit within you to raise kids on your own. You just can't do it. We, we try to do all the right things, and we still mess our kids up. It's just the way that it works. So today we're going to be talking just about that. What does it look like for us to raise a family as the family of God? What does that look like? Before we get into this, we need to look a little bit about maybe redefining what the early church would have thought as when they thought of a family. Because in Jewish history, it wasn't traditionally just a husband, a wife, uh, two and a half kids, and a dog. You know, in a minivan. That's, that's not what the family was. So what was the traditional Jewish household? What did that look like? It would have looked like an interconnected 
a kind of clan, a tribe of people that all live together and they share deep life together. Have you ever wondered why there are so many genealogies in the Bible? It's because family is important to God. And when Jesus came, he did something different in regards to family. He said, hey, it's not just about your bloodline anymore, but I'm making a new family, a new household of believers. He creates a new family. And you know what he calls that? The church. One of my favorite things that the scriptures identifies the people of God as is a family. I love that. Why do I love that? Because we all identify with it. We all have brokenness when we think about family. We all have brokenness when we think about parenting or being kids. It hits all of us in different areas. And today I just want to acknowledge the fact that when I mention this idea of parenting or being a child or having kids or anything like that, that there are going to be different ways that this hits you. For some of you, maybe you're single and you don't have a wife and you don't have any kids and you desperately want them. Well, God's grace is sufficient for you today. For some of you, you're married and you have no children and you desperately want to have children. And for some reason, you can't have them. God's grace is sufficient for you today. I love this quote that I read uh, this week. We all need help in parenting. The only perfect parents I know are those who have no children. Isn't it the truth, though? It's like everybody's got a great idea until they have one of those their own to try it out on, right? Parenting is not easy. Because we're a covenantal church in nature, the way that we see the family of God playing out is that we all have skin in the game. If you're a member at New City Church, you have a responsibility to come alongside parents. In fact, in a few weeks, we're going to do an infant baptism here, and I'll explain a little bit more about that if you're not familiar with infant baptism. But one of the questions that we ask when we do an infant baptism is we, we say, do you as the congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents in, this, in the Christian nurture of this child? Do you agree to partner with these parents and helping them raise these kids in the gospel? Because we can't do it alone. That's what we're saying. We're raising our white flag. We're saying we surrender. We can't do it alone. Family is God's idea. And no matter the, 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 the depth of love or pain you feel when you think about this idea of family, I want you to know one thing this morning, that God is a good, good father. So no matter what your relationship with your father was like, no matter what you, you, you feel like, how you've messed up your kids, God is a good, good father. And his grace is sufficient for whatever mistakes you've made or whatever mistakes you're going to make. And he's... he's, he's He's giving you these people called the church that have this spirit, his spirit, living inside of them that are going to come alongside you and help you in parenting your children. Those of you that know me well know that this is a really important thing to me. And that's the reason why the vision of New City Church is to live as the family of God together. Like that's the first phrase in our vision, to live as the family of God together in Lawrenceville proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another and our city. Because we can't do this effectively without knowing one another and living in community. So as much as our culture wants to separate us and subdivide us into singles, into marrieds, into widows, into divorce, into whatever else, we are the family of God together. We're one. And these kids that are back, back down the hall are the kids that are in here with us. We all have a responsibility in helping them grow up in the gospel. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. 
Jesus restores our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And that relationship with Jesus has the power to redeem and renew even the most jacked up situations that we experience in life. The big idea of where we're going today is this, is that God has called us to parent with purpose. God has called us to parent with purpose. Because we believe that God has redeemed all of life and that he loves everything about us, there's not one thing in our life that God cannot use with the intentional purpose for us to make disciples and to see the gospel go forth. And so we want to do, as parents, we don't want to just kind of brush this off to the side and kind of make accidental disciples. We want to be intentional about making disciples of Jesus, and we're going to do that together. So would you stand with me as we read our text this morning? It comes from Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Have you ever used that one before, parents? <laughs> Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our Father, we ask that this word that you've given us, that you give us faith to believe that it is your word and that it is what is best for us and for the children you've entrusted to us, not as only husbands and wives and parents, but as this church. You've given us a responsibility, and we want to be faithful in that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we're going to look at kind of six foundational principles that we need to build into our philosophy of parents, our, our philosophy of parenting our children. Many of these come from the text, but a couple of them are kind of just add-on things that I've kind of brought in to this subject of parenting. If you've been on an airplane before, one of the most awkward conversations that is had on the airplane is when that flight attendant gets up front and she starts having this monologue. And you're tempted to check out. You're tempted not to listen to what she said, maybe because you've heard it before. But there was this one time that I did listen. And they talk about this like oxygen mask, right? And they say, okay... Here's the first thing I want you to do, parents. Neglect your children and put the oxygen mask on yourself. And you're like, as parents, you're like, what are you talking about? Like, my kids need the oxygen. What do you mean I need to put the oxygen mask on myself first? That's exactly what they say. And why do they tell you to do that? Because if you don't have the oxygen mask on yourself, how are you going to be able to take care of your kids? So just let them suffer for a little bit. Get the oxygen mask on yourself. Well, this is exactly where I think we need to start with this whole conversation of parenting. We've got to look first and foremost at our relationship with God. So parent first as a child of God, number one. Parent first as a child of God. So we're going to look at two things in this. We're going to look at how Jesus is our model for the perfect parent. Jesus is our model. And Jesus is our security. So Jesus as our model. If we're not careful, as Christians, we can begin our journey into parenting with the wrong world view. So what do I mean by that? Well, we can disqualify ourselves in the spirit that God has put inside of us and what he can accomplish. So the narrative might go a little something like this. Well, I really had kind of a bad upbringing and I don't really know what to do. Or, man, I really did some foolish things when I was raising my kids. So we can disqualify ourselves into thinking, God doesn't have the power to bring my kids up the way that his word says. Now, there's an obedience factor for us to kind of apply those truths. But I can tell you 
right off the bat that I was raised by unbelievers. My mom didn't become a believer until I was 17. And somehow God, in his faithfulness, brought other people into my life that introduced me to the word, brought me up in the faith. And now my mother and I have a greater relationship than we've ever had before. God is sovereign over that. So we've got to look, at, we've got to, look to, to God, to Jesus as our model in parenting. We have a perfect father that relates to us in a perfect way. That's something none of us have ever seen from an earthly perspective before. We've got to look to Jesus as our model. And most of us as parents, in fact, all of us, are doing things that we've never done before. Now, some of us are a little more bold and assertive. We're like, yeah, I got this. We're just messing our kids up more confidently than the other people, right? I mean, that's just kind of the way it looks. We've got to trust God as our model. We've got to first look to God. We've got to put the oxygen mask on ourselves before we can put it on our kid. The scriptures call us above all else in Ephesians 5.1 into to imitate God as beloved children. Now, before Paul gets into all of this talk about what it looks like for the gospel of grace to go forth in the, the marital relationship and the family and all of those things, he says, hey, the first thing is this, imitate God as beloved children. Imitate God. So all of these imperatives that he challenges the Ephesian church to, to kind of be about, all hang on this idea that we're called to imitate God, and we're called to imitate God because he's put his spirit inside of us and saved us by grace. None of us deserve it. So that's kind of what all of these things hang off of. And the quicker, I think, that, that we as parents here at New City Church put down the torture device of comparison, the better off we're going to be. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'm tempted to look at someone else and be like, ah, they're, they're just a better parent than me. Now, if I just did those things, maybe my kid would behave the way that I want them to behave. We're all tempted to compare ourselves to other people Instead of looking first to our Father and imitating God in our parenting. There's a quote, I can't think of who it's from, but it says this, Comparison is the thief of joy. There's nothing that Satan wants to do more than to rob you of your joy in raising your children. Our kids belong to the Lord. We've got to trust God with that. So this is where we must always start with parents, as parents. The second thing is this, uh, Jesus is our security. So I want to read, I want to remind you what we talked about in Ephesians chapter 1, if you were here with us. I'm going to read verses 3 through 5 real quick. I want to remind you of the work that God has done in saving us. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see Father, God is our Father, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. God chose you as his child out of love. Wasn't anything that he saw foresaw in you like, oh yeah, you're going to be really obedient. You're going to be, oh Billy Graham, oh you're going to, you're going to preach the gospel to millions. No. God loved us before the foundations of the world. In love, he predestined us to, to receive adoptions as sons and daughters. We belong to God because he loves us. If we don't start there in our parenting, it will always be a legalistic endeavor to try to produce something that's worthy of God's approval. This is where we always have to start. Brian Chappell said this once. 
Our greatest failings as parents often come from our insecurities. So what does he mean by that? Well, I don't know about you, but there are times when I might discipline my kids out of anger. Let's say they really act up in a public place and they really make dad look bad. I mean, like, oh, you're a pastor? (laughs) I'm tempted to discipline my children out of anger because of an insecurity that's been birthed in me. I'm not secure in who God's called me to be because my children are behaving in a way that's contrary to the character that I'd like to see in them, that I'm trying to etch in them. So I'm tempted to to behave a certain way toward them, really because I'm insecure. When we lack an eternal security that Ephesians 1 talks about, that this eternal security that God loved us before we ever breathed a breath, when we lack that, we're going to do all kinds of sorts of crazy things in our parenting. But I think one of the best things we can give our children is a, is a strong security and joy in Christ. Because they pick up on that stuff. You know, some of you are concerned that your children are never listening to you. You're like, man, you're never listening to what I'm saying, but they're always watching you. They don't miss anything. My kids don't miss anything. This is why my kids, when I was working on the deck for a week, and one of these sheets right here, I was working on the deck outside, and they, they thought that I had switched jobs and I was now a carpenter. You know, they're... They don't miss anything at all. They're always watching us. And our security in God through Christ is what frees us to parent toward the good of our kids and not the good of ourselves. We need to be secure people. More than anything, our children need to see how Jesus meets us in our best and in our worst. And the more that they can see that in our lives, as we hang on, we cling to Jesus in the moments when we don't have control and we don't have it all together, Uh, the better parents we're going to be. There you go. There's point number one of the parenting sermon that really doesn't talk about parenting. It's all about you and God. Second thing is this. Love your spouse. I realize that for some of you, maybe you're raising children as a single parent. And I know that that has to be very difficult. My mother raised me as a single parent, and I know that it requires double the work. And I'm convinced that God gives lots and lots of grace to those of you that are raising children on your own. But if you are married and you're raising children, the second best thing that you can give your children is a a strong love of your spouse. Ephesians 5.33 says this, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We talked a lot about this last week. If you're interested in what all that means in its detail, go back and listen to the podcast on that. It was a lot of fun. As we look at this, I think we're tempted at times uh, to say, hey, our children need to take priority. I would say that this is kind of the, this is the norm in our culture, is that children are the precedent. I mean, we have to put them above everyone else. And we let our relationship with our spouse kind of begin to dissolve and rot over time. And then what happens is, is when, when our children go and they're on their own, just as like we, we, we needed to raise them to be, then we're left as strangers with someone that we, that we married you know, 20 years ago, but we don't remember them anymore. The second best thing we can give our kids is a strong love for our spouse. And that's because the ultimate goal of a husband's headship and a wife's submission is making Jesus' love a reality for the family. That's the ultimate goal of all of that is we make tangible the intangible love of God when we, when we show our kids what it looks like to love another person, to covenant with them, to be in relationship with them. We make the invisible visible when we do that with our children. 
So our temptation is to think that great schools and great opportunities will be the best things for our kids. But I think a strong marriage is a better thing. I just think that in Ephesians 5, that the priority that Paul talks about, first husbands and wives, and then he goes to parenting, and then he goes to work. I I think that's the priority pecking order of what we're called to focus on as Christians. I know, especially as guys, we're tempted to think, okay, let's think about work, and then the kids, and then our wives. We could get it completely upside down. But I think there's a, there's a responsibility there. And the bottom line is, when I proposed out in front of the Bellagio Fountains in Las Vegas, Nevada in 2007, I proposed to my wife, Megan, because I wanted to be married to her. In the end of my days, I want to be with her. And so maybe some of us maybe need to refocus our relationship with our spouse. And we think we're neglecting our kids, but it's actually the best thing that we can give to them. Thirdly, aim for obedience. Now, this is where it gets down to the nitty-gritty here. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obedience. Is it an important thing? The kids in here are like, yeah, it's not really that important. <laughs> parents are like, yeah, it's important. I don't know about you, but... I try to kind of be the enforcer around the home. I want to be grace-filled, but I'm, you know, I want my kids to be obedient. I want them to honor their mother and their father. But believe it or not, when you just say, hey, children, obey your parents for this is right, they don't just obey. I don't know why. I can't figure it out. But Megan and I go back and forth on this because parenting is tiring work. I mean, it's, it's tough to always be on top of four kids and say, hey, I told you to do this. Obey right away, all the way, and in a happy way, or you're getting disciplined. It's tough to do that a hundred times a day. And so what we resort to a lot of times is delayed obedience. Okay, I counted to 10 and you came. That's, that's good enough. We'll deal with that. Or no obedience at all. Okay, you guys can just run wild. I'm tired. <laughs> so why is it important for us to teach our children the imperative of obedience? Why is that important? Why is God concerned about that? Because he gives us a command. Children, kids, that's everybody in the room. He gives you a command to honor your parents and obey them. You're like, oh, why? And here's why. Here's why I think it's important for us to, to really to kind of focus on the imperative of obedience because we're teaching our children how to be under authority. God's given us this responsibility to teach our children how to be under authority. And, and quite frankly, as parents, we mediate Christ to our kids. We get to show them what Jesus' love is like. A lot of times people think that in the scriptures that God is not just and that God just kind of lets things fly. You know, oh yeah, that guy said he believes in Jesus, so all of his sins are forgiven. He really needs to pay for that. We think that God isn't just, but God is just. And when we understand the cross, we get to see that God poured out all of his wrath on Jesus. Not just some of it. He poured out all of his wrath so that we could be sons and daughters. We could be adopted into his family. And as parents, we have this imperative command to teach our children to obey. Now, this is easier said than done because we don't want to become legalistic. We don't want to become domineering in our families. We don't want to provoke our children to anger, as Paul says. So how do we do this? I don't know. (laughs) With God's help. No, seriously. I love this story that that Paul Tripp tells, and I, I heard this probably five or six years ago. Paul Tripp had this elementary age daughter, and he said, he had, he had told her to do something, he had given her a command, and she didn't obey. And then she ran up the stairs into her room, and she went in the closet, and she shut the door, and she locked it, and she started to sob. 
And, you know, Paul gives it a few minutes. He's like, okay, maybe this will blow over, you know, hormones. She's, she's a preteen, so maybe this will kind of blow over. And it doesn't blow over. So he goes up the steps into his daughter's closet, and he sits down beside her. He says, honey, what is the problem? And she looks at him, and she says, daddy, I can't do what you're asking me to do. I can't obey you. I know you want me to obey you, but I can't do it. And he said, all of a sudden, it was like a light bulb went off. That's the whole point of calling your children to obedience, to show them that they can't do it, that they need another to stand in their place and obey. And this is what our, our parenting is doing as we are calling our kids to obey, is we're reminding them that they can't do life, that they can't obey mom and dad perfectly, that they can't obey God perfectly, that they need someone else to stand in their place, and that someone is Jesus. Honor your father and mother. You know, I think honor more than anything is about an inward posture of respect toward your parents. I was talking with a friend of mine this week, and, and we were, I was just telling him about some of the disappointments of my uh, upbringing with my parents. And, and then I was reminded that I'm still called to honor, even though I've been disappointed. So what does it look like to honor even when you've been disappointed by your parents as, as children? I think that's a prayerful thing that we pursue and that we, we remind ourselves that we can't do it alone and that it's only by God's grace that we're able to make any disciples of Jesus. And we still stay in the game with our parents because I'm tempted to kind of cut, quite frankly, I'm speaking real straight with you right now, I'm tempted to kind of cut my dad out of my life because he's disappointed me so many times. And then I read the text, honor your father and your mother. For me, you know what honor means? Call dad even if he doesn't call you. Maybe it means something else for you, but I'm called to consider my father. Consider my mother, even when I don't feel like he considers me. And that pleases the Lord. Verses 2 and 3, are there's some, there's some cultural context that I really don't have time to go into today. When he talks about this is the first commandment with a promise, that, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Don't have time to get into all of that, but I would say this. Here's what he means. Here's the bottom line of this. It's beneficial for your life. It's what's best for you, for you to obey. Even when you think you're, even, even when it's one of those situations where you're like, yeah, I know mom and dad are wrong on this. I busted them. Obey your parents. Obey your parents for it pleases the Lord. Paul says, hey, we've, got, we've all got an interest for ourselves. We've all got an interest in ourselves. And we want to prove ourselves, but obey your parents. Honor them. Fourthly, discipline and love. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I can remember when my daughter Tatum got to the place in life where her disobedience was, let's say, noticeable. Okay? You know, it's to the point where people, you know, you say, hey, Tatum, I think it'd be a good idea for us to leave the house now. And she's like, no, I want to play, you know, Candyland or whatever. You know, and she just kind of goes off and does her own thing. And, you know, you get into the public environment as a, as a parent, and you're like, man, just, just obey. Just, just listen to me this one. I know you listen one in ten times, make the one right now. I can remember when the disobedience in our family became noticeable. And then I began scouring the scriptures. Okay, God, what have you called me to do? And then I came across Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. God, this, this dog, she's two, and just look at this little curly blue eye, you know, and she's beautiful. I can't, I can't, I can't discipline her. This can't be what God has in mind for my beautiful little daughter. 
I can't. And I was wrestling with God for a week, a week or so. And then I've just felt like God kind of, kind of pressed this into my heart. Just kind of this phrase, do you trust me? Do you trust me, Ryan? Do you trust my word? Do you trust that my word is what's best for your kids? Because, you know, my fear was my daughter's going to hate me. She's not going to love me. And one of the reasons is, is that I didn't really know what loving discipline actually looks like. You know, Hebrews 12, 6 says the Lord disciplined the one, disciplines the one he loves. Okay, that's talking about discipline can be done in love. Okay, so what does that look like? Because I, usually when I think about discipline, I think about, you know, the spanking spoon or whatever to my, to my kid, you know, time out. And then we separate ourselves because some reason that seems right to do, right? If you're like, hey, you stay over there. You've been bad. That was my idea of what discipline is. But when I read Hebrews 12, 6, and I see that the Lord disciplines the one he loved, and I remember Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, that he loved me before the foundations of the world, discipline can look differently. And so Megan and I begin to kind of think through this. What would this look like to love our kids and discipline them as well? And so there's the physical discipline aspect. I don't have to go into all the details of that. You get that. Uh, some people are on different pages as far as physical discipline goes, especially in our culture today where we idolize children. But point blank, I'm trying to be obedient to the scripture, so physical discipline is a part of the household rules at the Johnson house. Something that we always follow it up with is just a loving embrace. So we, may, we make a point that anytime there's physical discipline involved in our house, we go and we just sit with the child. We hold them. We love them. And if we're really holy, we pray with them. That's what we want to do. Because we want them to know that they're embraced by their parents and that even though they've been disciplined, our attitude, our affections toward them have not changed. And this is the same thing God has done with us. Even though we're disciplined for our disobedience from the Lord because he loves us, he doesn't remove himself from us. In fact, discipline leads us to believe that he's near to us, right? So as, as parents, we're to, we're to come near to our children even when we discipline them. Even, even more so when we discipline them so they can be reminded of our nearness, and our closeness to them. For some reason, Ephesians 6.4 also talks about fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger. In other places, it says fathers don't exasperate your children. I guess because of the fall, fathers, we have been, we have been plagued with a demeanor and an attitude that has the potential to really evoke anger in our children more so than, than our wives. And we've got to, Paul said, hey, you've got to look out for that. There's, there's, there's a way that you've been wired, a way that the fall has affected you, that you could, you could really be at odds with your children. So, fathers, we've got to be conscious of the fact that we can provoke our children to anger a lot easier than maybe mom can. And this means that we just need to communicate with our children and pursue them and to love them. Go over the top to, to say, hey, look, I love you. I'm in your life. And, and to really try to be understanding. Fifthly, provide instruction. This is the same part of Ephesians 6.4 here. Bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. I love this quote by C.H. Spurgeon. Train up a child in the way he should go. You know that verse, right? But make sure that you go that way yourself. Right? In Hebrew culture, parents were called to teach their children what the scriptures call the Shema. And the Shema is found in Deuteronomy 6.4-9. I'm going to read it for you. And the Shema was really really kind of the basis for life in God's family, to be an Israelite. This is, what it, this is one of the basic things that, that parents needed to give to their children. It's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on the gates. Stone Mountain, there's this big etching, this big engraving on the side of Stone Mountain, and I guess it took like 20 years or something to build. I don't know. can't remember. You, you hear the tour every time you go up the mountain. Imagine that you as a parent, you've got a chisel and you've got a hammer. And God has, has called you to, put the, to bring your kids up in the instruction of the Lord. Well, it's like we're chiseling away at a, at a, at a piece of granite. Uh, That's this big block, and and God has called us to impress the Word of God into our children. So we're chiseling away the Word of God every way we can. It's not like we're just in Bible study up in the bed with our kids. It's as you go along the way, write it on the doorpost. Do everything you can to chisel your kids into the image of God through the Word of God. This This is what it means to bring our children up in the instruction of the Lord. And I think one of the biggest things that we can teach our children is to not trust themselves. <laughs> I mean, you think about it, we want to we raise our kids to be independent. And one of the things that Megan and I kind of talked about early on as we begin to have children is we don't want to raise our kids to be independent. We want to teach our kids to be dependent upon the church, upon God, upon His body. We also want to teach them responsibility. And I think a lot of times that's what parents are getting at. We want to teach them responsibility. We want to teach them dependence, that they can't do life alone. That they need God. And that's what the Word of God continues to teach them. That there was, you know, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, God says, hey, there was nothing special about you Israelites. There was nothing. I mean, it wasn't like you were more in number or that you had it all together. But I chose you because I love you. And God has given you children, parents, because He loves you. And He's given you a responsibility to love your children with the love that God is putting you as well. And I think there is a a particular temptation today for us to kind of be hands-off with our children because we uh, we want them to be able to make their own decisions. Especially uh, as younger children getting up into middle school, we need to stay with our kids. Dads, even when it gets awkward and and your little girl starts maturing, you're like, ah, I don't know what to do here. Stay in the game. Ladies, when your son begins to grow up and he's like a foot taller than you, stay in the game with him. They need to, they need to know how to make decisions like where to go to school and, and who to date and how to spend their money and how to work hard. They need all of those things from you even as they grow older. They're not just going to figure it out on their own. We're called to bring our children up in the instruction of the Lord. Even though your kids move out of the house, it's like parenting never stops. Once a parent, always a parent. It just looks a little different. I know that transition can be awkward a lot of times on, you know, okay, I'm, 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 I'm an adult child. How do I relate to my parents? It's a good question. I'd love to know if any of you have the answer to that. Stay in the game with your children. And lastly, number six, give them grace. Recently I realized something very humbling. That the things that drive me the most crazy about my kids are the things that God loves the most about them. I mean, 
The constant neediness. Oh, can't you just go to the bathroom by yourself? Can you make me food? Can you lay down with me at night? The constant neediness, the constant companionship that they need from mom and dad, especially at this age, uh, the dependence that they have. Those are the things that God loves most about kids. In fact, in Matthew 18, I'm going to read this, but God even calls us to become like children, to follow Him. It's the wildest thing. Listen to this. Matthew 18, 1 through 4. At the time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to Him a child, He put in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Everything Paul says in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 is based on everything he said prior to this in Ephesians. So what does this mean? What does it look like? We're called to become needy, to become dependent, and to give our children grace, to realize that, that they need grace to thrive. They need, the, they need the law, they need to obey, but they also need the gospel. They need grace. And we're called to walk this out with our, with our children. And the more that we call them to obey, the more we have opportunity to show them grace. One of the best examples I ever saw of this was my friend Danny. He is uh, one of nine children, grew up as a missionary kid in Japan. And he said, one of the biggest moments in his life when he got the gospel was when he had done something really bad and his dad was coming to spank him. He had the spanking spoon or his hand or whatever and he, he knew he was in hot water. And his dad comes into the room and he says, Danny, you know what you deserve. And Danny's like, yeah. And all of a sudden his dad begins to hit himself. He begins to spank himself over and over. And it probably looked weird to anybody that was looking. But the point of this thing was that Danny's dad he didn't say, hey, I'm not going to give you a spanking today. You know, one of, one of our other friends, they said that I'm going to give their kids grace at one point instead of giving them a spanking. And, and now the kids always go, hey, give me grace, give me grace, give me grace. But Danny's dad showed grace, but he also, he, he kept what he, what he said he was going to do. And this is exactly what God has done for us in Jesus. We earned something. We earned punishment. And God has given us grace. But it requires trust. And in Danny's situation, it required trust in his father. That his father knew what was right. So how could we, how could we show our, our kids grace? What would that look like? love this quote from Larry Crabb. It says this, Nothing you are or have ever done dooms you to defeat. God's arm is long enough to reach into the deepest black hole and strong enough to lift you out. We will walk together with the courage to face life honestly that Nothing can take from us. You have something powerful to give. We remind our children of this. Your secrets, they don't define you. Beneath your worst failure and your deepest wound lies a bearer of God's image who can know God and reveal Him only in community. With hope and joy, you can look into the face of God. There is a calling on your life that no secret can remove. God has made the mystifying choice to work through redeemed failures and we continue to fail, but we are men and women with an appetite for God, an appetite that keeps us moving into the mystery where we can be most fully revealed. We're called to give our children grace. It's not easy. It's messy. It looks like we're really messed up, and we are, but God is so good. And as we give our children grace, I think it will provide an atmosphere and an environment, a culture where growth can happen. 
Now, that's going to look like looking at a lot of sin. I mean, it's going to get bloody, right? I mean, because that's what happens with sin. It's going, to, it's going to get ugly. But God's grace is where we thrive. And we can't do this. We can't do this alone. So I, I think as parents and as even members of New City Church, we, we all need to raise our white flag of surrender and say, God, we need you. We need you to step in. We need to focus on living as a child of God before we can ever be a parent. Let's pray together. Father, we, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for the truth that you give to us, the instruction that, that you are a good father and you have not left us alone. You've given us instruction. You've given us discipline because you love us. Father, help us to mediate Christ to our kids. Help us to show them that they can't do life alone, that they need you more than anything. And Father, help us to do this as a family unit, as, as New City Church. May we raise our kids together and see that we all have a responsibility in this. I'm going to do something a little different right now as we continue in an attitude of prayer. I want to pray for, um, for the young girls that we are raising as a church. And this is a prayer that I often pray over my daughters. That the young ladies of this church would be confident and secure in Christ. I don't know what it is about how the fall has affected young girls, but security is the thing that, that seems to, to plague them the most. So, Father, we just ask today, as we think about all those little ones that are down the hall and New City kids and, and even in this room with us, I pray that you would give just a supernatural confidence that the blood that Jesus spilled is sufficient. And it's sufficient to secure us even through the, the toughest trials and storms of life. Lord, I pray that you would give young ladies uh, an open ear to their mothers and fathers. And that in the, search, in the situations where mom and dad aren't raising them up in the Lord, Lord, I pray that, that you would bring people alongside of them to help grow them up in Jesus, just like you did for me. This is a prayer I often pray for my boys, that they would be tough and tender. Father, I, many times we want this chauvinistic view of young boys. We want them to be real masculine. And that's true. We want them to be tough. We want them to be able to endure life, to handle life, whatever life throws at them. Lord, you've made them broader with broader shoulders for a reason. And that's to carry the weight that you're going to put on them. Father, we also pray that, that you would couple the toughness of these young soldiers of Jesus with the tenderness of being able to love people well. That these young men would be tender shepherds as they grow up and have families of their own. God, we're, we're begging you. We're asking you, Father. Help us make disciples of Jesus here at New City Church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.